0: I want to say good morning to our Frontline family. What a privilege it is to be with you this morning as we spend time in the presence of our Savior. Church, there is only one true God. There is only one name with the power to save, and His name is? Jesus! Amen. We thank the Lord for the opportunity to worship Him in song this morning. Now let's turn our attention to His life-changing Word. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today in the mighty and liberating name of Jesus. We thank you for this, the, more the opportunity this morning, together as your church, as we focus now on your word. Lord, we ask that you would not only bring us the knowledge that we need for life and godliness, but also, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to be fertile and to be soft enough to receive it and to make it applicable for our lives. Lord, I pray that we would be inspired not only to be hearers of the word, but that we would become doers also, walking out the plan that you have predestined for each of us, and in doing so, bringing you the honor and the glory you deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. 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 You may take your seats this morning. Well, church, it's so good to be with you in the house of the Lord. And today we're going to be continuing with our detox series. And in our time together, I'm going to be speaking about detoxifying yourself from bad habits. Detoxifying ourselves from bad habits. There's an old joke about a man that was hired to paint a church building. And what happened is this man didn't quote the job correctly, right? And as he proceeded to paint the building, he knew from the very beginning he didn't have enough paint to finish the job. So he added paint thinner. And then he painted a portion of the church, and then he added some more paint thinner. And he added another, well, painted another portion and added more. And so he ended up putting a very thin veneer of paint across the whole church. Well, the next day after he was done, a massive rainstorm came through the town and just took all the paint and washed it off the building. This was naturally very disappointing to the pastor of the church who came to him and put his his finger in the man's face and said to him, Repaint and thin no more. Repaint and thin no more. It's a bit of a corny joke, I know, church. But the point I want to draw from this is that we often try to cover up certain behaviors in our lives with a thin coat of religion or morality or holiness. But at some point in our Christian walk, we have to learn what it is to detoxify ourselves from bad habits. And let's be honest this morning. Everybody has some bad habits, right? And sure, some bad habits, they're quite harmless. For instance, I think biting your fingernails is one of them. It's a bit nasty because there's germs under your nails, but you know what? It's quite harmless. I did it when I was younger and I'm still around. <laughs> or, or picking your teeth in public. It might be a bit off-putting to the next person, but you know what? Again, it's quite harmless. There are even some habits that are cute. Some of you snort when you laugh, right? And you, you know what? You're so embarrassed when it happens, but most of the time people just laugh it off and say, Ugh, you know what? That's just so cute. It's harmless. But church, there are other bad habits that are very serious because they become addictive behaviors. They become life-controlling sins, such as alcoholism, substance abuse, pornography, stealing, uncontrolled anger, etc., etc. These types of habits can dominate your life ruin relationships, and destroy your destiny. And church, something that you'll discover about sin is that sin never seems irresistible until you want to break free from it. Then you discover that certain behaviors have a very strong grip, a very strong hold over your life. There's a passage of Scripture in the book of Colossians chapter 3 that we're going to focus on today, And we're not going to exegete this passage in its entirety. There's too many verses, but we are going to extract some major principles. You can go there so long if you want to. But before we do that, church, we need to surface the question, why is it that we are tempted? Or to put it another way, church, why does God allow temptations to occur, and why are these temptations so strong? I mean, He is God, right? He is all-powerful. Certainly could, if He wanted to, reduce the temptation in our lives or maybe increase our ability to handle them and easily overcome them. But you know what? He doesn't do that. He allows us to face them head on. But church, one thing that you can be certain of this morning is that God never tempts us to sin. So we can never say at any point, it's God's fault that we sin. It's never God's fault, right? It's always a choice that you make. Even if that choice has been made to the point where you are now controlled by that sin. God is never to blame. The Bible says in James chapter 1, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. God never tempts us to sin. However, church, God may lead us into vulnerable places. The Bible tells us that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So what then, you may ask? Is there anything good that could come out of these temptations to sin? Well, church... There actually are some good things that come out of it. Let me explain. First of all, temptation tests our loyalty. Temptation tests our loyalty, church, because you really can't say that you love a person unless you have made difficult choices and sacrifices in regard to that person. So saying no to temptation is a way to confirm your love for God. And you could say that God allows us to be tempted, church, because He wants our passion for Him to be greater than our passion for sin. So temptations test our loyalty. And here's another benefit. Temptation transforms our lives. And I think that's what God is aiming for, church, when we're allowed to face situations that are greatly tempting to us. God is taking us there because He wants that to be a point of transformation why because he doesn't just want to deliver us from something he wants to deliver us to something and then not only that church but temptations teach us certain things they teach us lessons and one of the biggest lessons to learn in temptation is this amazing thing called grace it's God's grace right is there anyone here that's a beneficiary of God's grace this morning Because we deal with sin, we deal with temptation, we deal with habits. But I just love what Paul says in Romans chapter 5, he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And Paul even talked about his struggle in an area in his own life where he prayed three times and eventually the Lord said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. It is all you need. So church, yes, there are a few good things that come out of temptation. But what I want to do as we look at Colossians chapter 3 today is I want to give you three key steps on how to detoxify yourself from bad habits. And notice I didn't say three easy steps because there is no such thing. There are no such things as easy steps when it comes to detoxifying yourself from bad habits. But Church, here are some principles that should really help us all. Number one, if you take your notes this morning, the first step to detoxify a bad habit is to think clearly. It is to think clearly. Colossians chapter three, verse one to four says this: "If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above." Where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. In other words, think clearly. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's an amazing scripture, that. Now, church, there are several spiritual realities there that are listed. And these are really important for us to understand. And they are, you died, you were raised, your life is now hidden with Christ in God, and when He appears, when Jesus returns, we will appear with Him in glory. Four realities. You died, you were raised, your life is hidden with Him, and when He appears, you will appear with Him. Now church, those are truths that are positional truths. They are positional truths. You haven't actually experienced them. They're not literal. They are all about identification. So basically what you need to know from this passage, firstly, is that you're dead. You say, I'm dead? I didn't even know I was sick. How can you tell me I'm dead? You're dead to the old life. The old you, the flesh life. The flesh doesn't dominate you. It shouldn't dominate you. You say, but past it does. I still battle these habits. I still battle with these habitual sins. That may be true. But you need to know that positionally, you are dead to that. You see, the old Ryan died and was buried. You could say even publicly buried on the day that I was baptized in this pond here. Right? That's what that was all about. That was a public declaration and demonstration that the old Ryan had passed away. That doesn't mean that you are actually dead and that you are literally dead. But it does mean positionally you are dead. And church, you need to know that in God's mind, he thinks the same way. You are dead, not to him, but you are dead to the old way of life. That's how he sees it. And that's how you and I need to see it. Right? Right? That's where we are positionally. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, firstly, you're dead. And secondly, church, you've come alive. You say, Pastor, okay, that's a bit confusing. First, you say I'm dead, and now you say I'm alive. Look at verse 1 again. If then you were raised with Christ, that's coming alive. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. So church, truth number one, Jesus conquered death by resurrection. Can someone say amen? amen? And truth number two, it is that resurrection power that you and I identify with for power to overcome bad habits. He was raised, you were raised. So you are dead and alive. You are both dead and alive. It kind of reminds me of those old westerns that you used to, well, I used to watch anyway. And you would see the poster of this man stuck on on a wall somewhere with quite a mean looking face. And it would say on that poster, wanted dead and alive. Wanted either dead or alive, right? But if God put out a poster for you, he would say he would want you both dead and alive. Why? Because he wants you dead to the old life, right? And alive to God, to the new. And church, this is so important for us to identify with. This is not just semantics or a play on words. This is important to identify with because many Christians live in an in-between life. You could say that they live between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. they sort of dead to the old life and sort of alive to God right? And because of that, they're not enjoying full victory. So the first step to break a bad habit is to know the truth. You need to know the truth about your position in Christ. You're dead and alive and hidden and will be in glory. And a couple of words I want you to notice here. Verse 1 says, if then you were raised with Christ, which is a fact. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And here's what I want you to see here, church. You don't get this from the typical English translation, but in the original Greek language, those two words, seek and set, they are commands, right? It's a command to do something. But it's in the present tense, which signifies an ongoing practice. So a full translation or an accurate translation would be seek and keep on seeking. Set your mind and keep on setting your mind on things which are above. The language speaks of persistence. The language speaks of not giving up. Amen? So in the context of what we're talking about, make a mental determination that you will not wallow in past defeat when it comes to habitual sins. And you say, Pastor, listen, I keep falling down. This habit keeps on getting the best of me. I keep blowing it. Okay, that's your past. Keep seeking, keep setting. Do not wallow in past defeat. Make that mental determination that you will keep seeking and keep setting your mind on things which are above. Church, you've got to know something about Satan. He always lies. He is the accuser of the brethren. That's that's you and me. And he lies on a number of levels. First of all, he tries to get you to indulge in the temptation, in the habit. He knows that's your weak area, and he says, you know what, just go for it. Everybody does stuff like this. It'll just be one more time. God will forgive you. You are a good person. Just go ahead. So you go ahead, and then as soon as you do it, his second lie is, I can't believe that you just did that. Right? He says you're a fake Christian. What a horrible Christian you are. God is not going to forgive you if you keep on falling back into the same old sin. You are a disgrace. you'll say this, you'll never break free from the bondage of this habit. You're going to be stuck here forever. Anyone know what I'm talking about this morning? So let me give you a little tip on, on how to hack his scheming. Do you want to know what it is? The tip is to think of the end game. The tip is to think of the long game. Church, while we're fighting the battle here, while you're struggling with the battle here, think of the end game. Seek those things which are above. Keep setting your mind on things above where Christ is. That's heaven, right? At church, you need to think clearly about the fact that you are created as an eternal being for another place. Even in the midst of what you're going through right now. Even in the midst of your temptation. And that provides a certain kind of motivation for you when you are going through these struggles. Here's the second key to, or key step to breaking a bad habit. After thinking clearly, act decisively. Act decisively. Verse 5 says, therefore, and this is what I love about Paul's letters, he says, therefore, because He wants you to apply it now. He says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Can I say that one again? Filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. But Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, longsuffering. At church, we need to understand something. Once you've understood your position then you need to make that your conviction. That's the second part. Act decisively. Once you've fallen down and now you've determined, listen, I need to get up, then get up. you got to get up. I heard someone say that today is the day because yesterday you said tomorrow. Can I say that again? Today is the day because yesterday you said tomorrow. And I love that saying, and I agree with that, church, because once it's in your heart, it's got to move to your feet. Amen? And you could say it like this. This is a quote from a, a pastor by the name of Skip Heitzig. He said, our theology must eventually become our biology. It's who we are. It's what we do. Or maybe even better said, church, our theology needs to become our Neology, where we pray about it, surrender it, Lord, I'm convicted by this. And then our biology, where we're walking in this and acting decisively. Right? Our theology must become our neology and then our biology. We've got to put it into action. And church, just to pause there for a moment, what are we to act on? And how are we to do that? Well, verse 5 tells us, put to death your members which are on the earth. Verse 8 says, put off all these anger, wrath, malice, etc., etc. And verse 10 says, put on. And a list of behaviors are given. So, put to death, put off, and then put something else on. And, church, all of these are commands that involve our what? Our will. It involves our will, our decision-making, our choices. Church, which shows me just by the very language that there's always an element of self-control when it comes to detoxifying yourself from bad habits. And you may say, well, listen, that's the problem. I've done this so long. I've been evolving this so long. I've lost control. This is why we need to act act decisively and use self-control. I heard this story about a pastor that was pulled over for speeding one day. And so he pulled over, the the traffic officer walked over to the car, knocked on the window, and he said to him, Sir, you've been speeding. You've gone 35 kilometers an hour over the speed limit. You're almost at a a speed where we're going to have to arrest you, but give me your license. So the pastor was very embarrassed. He gave him his license, but just before he gave it to him, he tried to play the, the spiritual card. And he said to him, Pastor, he said to him, Officer, you know, Matthew chapter 5 says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So the officer took the card, he went to back to his, uh, his van, he wrote him a ticket, and he said to him, well, we handed it to him very courteously. And when he handed it to him, he said, Pastor, by the way, John chapter 8 says, go and sin no more. In other words, Pastor, it's not my fault that you're getting a traffic fine, right? It was your foot on the accelerator. You made that choice. So, church, why should we act so decisively when it comes to making certain choices? Because your choice can become your habit, and then your habit can become your addiction, and your addiction can become your lifestyle. That's why it says so strongly in verse 5, therefore put to death your members. Put it to death. And you really want to know, church, what is this a solution for your flesh this morning? Are you ready? Kill it. Right? That's what you've got to do. You cannot compromise with the flesh. You can't say, listen, I'm going to taper down a little bit or I'm going to reduce it a little bit every day and hopefully I'll get, I'll get through it. You put it to death. Because you see, God's answer is always the cross. It's always for those things to die. Let me remind you of something that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Now, church, that's very graphic language, right? If you think about it, just imagine trying to pluck your own eye out and throw it away. Or cut off your own hand. It's quite gross, right? But you see, that's the whole point. That's how we should think about sin. It's gross. It's vile. It's destructive. It should shock us. Now, when Paul says, "Put to death your members," or when Jesus says, "Pluck out your eye," or "Cut off your right hand," they are not promoting amputation surgery. Just by the way, (laughs) because the problem is never the hand or the eye. The problem is always the, it's the heart. It is the heart. So the point of this church and the point of what Jesus said is that we should deal radically with sin. Cut it off. Put it to death. The apostle Paul even writes to young Timothy, a young man who is tempted by the world, and he says to him, flee youthful lusts. In other words, run away from them. And church, sometimes the best way of escape from temptation is your own two feet. Can I say that again? Sometimes the best escape from temptation is your own two feet. Joseph found that out when Potiphar's wife tried to grab him and said to him, come to bed with me. And it says in the book of Genesis, he actually ran out of his clothes. He ran away naked, but at least he ran away. So when you're in a temptable situation, here's a tip. Get up and get out. Sometimes the best solution to temptation is evacuation. Just walk away. And you may think, listen, you know what? That's just rude. You mean I must just get up when I'm in people's company and and I might be in a situation that may tempt me? Yes. You have my full permission. Be completely rude if it's going to keep you from falling. Church, whatever it is, whether it's a place you're going to or people you're visiting, or a site that you're browsing, or a social media app that you are frequenting, you can still have the opportunity to run away, keep as much distance as possible, or switch it off. And look, the truth is, we are exposed to so much in our society today. So much entertainment and so much sensuality. I actually heard a statistic, I think, a week or two ago. There's something about... The amount of access the average person has these days to things like YouTube and uh, Netflix, the amount of sensuality that we have access to in one weekend is more than our grandparents would have ever had in their entire life. When you think about it, that's that's quite alarming. So we're exposed to these types of things, church, but you and I still have the control to either run away, keep as much distance as possible, or switch off that which tempts you. And when you think about it clearly, church, the best way to fight these temptations is to get involved in something completely different, right? If you're walking in a certain direction, you know you're heading towards sin, change that direction. Go somewhere else. Start seeking and set in your mind on things above. And quick question, what if you spend time walking in the Spirit? What if you spend most of your time walking in the Spirit? If you spend most of the time walking in the Spirit, you won't be having to battle the flesh, right? Paul said in Galatians chapter 5, Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Right? And that's a sermon on its own. But to give you an illustration, what's the best way to take air out of a bottle? You could think of all types of ways to suck the air out of the bottle. You could try use a vacuum cleaner or some fancy machine, or maybe even something more scientific. But there's an easier solution. Just add water. Right? Just put water in the bottle, and the air has to leave, right? And if you are filled with the Spirit, Church, if you are seeking and set your mind on things above, you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So it's thinking clearly, it's acting decisively, church. And the third step is to live accountably. Live accountably. Verse 13 says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love. So remember, it was put to death, put off, put on all these certain things, and the most important thing to put on is love, which is the bond of perfection. I love that, the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And church, what I want you to notice here is the one another's, because the context here is the group. It's the body. And to bring application to this church, we're in a group right now. We're all in a group in this room, right? And listen, church, here's an undeniable truth for you this morning. Every person that is sitting around you has struggled or is struggling with something right now. Some bad habits, some habitual sin. Every one of us has or is struggling. Now, having said that, Do you realize the enormous potential in that fact? Because it means sitting around you, you have encouragers. You have reinforcement. You have support. You have mentorship. You have real-life examples of what to do and what not to do. It's all here in the one another's. And church, the point I'm making here is that some bad habits become so bad and so prolonged that they become harassing sins. Life-dominating sins, addictions, and to fight those addictions, you cannot do it alone. You need the help of other people. If you keep lying to yourself and saying, listen, I can do this on my own, I can do this, I will get through this, how many times have you said that to yourself? It's because you can't do it alone. You weren't designed to do it alone. King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, he said, Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So church, what I want to say to you this morning is invite accountability. Say, hey brother, hey sister, I'm struggling with this issue, I'm struggling with this sin, I want to confess it. I want to get it out, and I want to make you aware of it, and you look like the type of person that can help me through this. And you know, church, when you're living in some form of sin, the natural tendency is to cut yourself off from the body. Right? And do you think the body is more or less effective without you? Let's say, for instance, that you you the foot in the body. Do you think that the body is going to be effective without you? No. Yes, the foot may be a bit infected because of sin, right? And it can't stay that way, otherwise it's going to affect the whole body. But if the body, if the one another's work together and send help and send antibodies to that infection, church, the foot will be restored and the body will eventually run like Usain Bolt. Amen? It's all in the one another's. Church, and I want us to get to a place as a body where we invite accountability. There's not one person sitting in this room, including myself, that is perfect. We all need help through these situations. And church, I want to close by by saying something very important. You will never be sinless, but you can sin less. You will never be sinless, but you can sin less. The habit doesn't have to control you. And you can put to death the temptations from Satan that are trying to put you to death. Remember, we serve a gracious God. That's His nature. He went to the cross for you and for me. But He is also a righteous God. Our key to victory, church, is always to keep our eyes on the Master. Set your mind on things above. Seek those things which are above. Walk in the Spirit and you will not have space For the flesh. Is it easy? No. Is it possible? Absolutely. With God, all things are possible. And remember, you are hidden with Christ in God. Is it what God requires of us? The answer is yes. He's very clear in his word that sin separates us from him. The prophet Isaiah says, But your sins have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear you. And remember, church, as I've been saying over the past couple of weeks, God doesn't want you apart from him. He wants you in fellowship. And today I want to say to you, you just need to realize who you are positionally. That is, you're dead, but you're resurrected. You've been hidden with Christ in God, and you will be raised with him in glory. Someone needs to say amen to that. And church, our point of departure from that reality is that we should live in alignment with who we are positionally, not historically. And let us commit from today, church, that we are not wanderers in the land between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. We are dead to the old life. We've been raised with Christ Jesus. We've been hidden with Him in God. And church, we will. We will be raised with Him in glory when He returns. Can I say those four things again? And after each of those points, can we say amen? Because this is important. Church, we are dead to the old life. We've been raised with Christ Jesus. We've been hidden with Him in God. And we will be raised with Him in glory when He returns. And I want to say to you today, don't be fooled by the devil's lies about who you are and about who He wants you to become. You just remind him about his future, that he's going down. And while you're at it, just remind him that you're going up when Jesus returns. Amen? And church, let us commit from today. Let us attack those sins in our lives. And what we need to do is think clearly, act decisively, and invite accountability. Could I ask the worship team to come up? Can we give God all the glory for His Word this morning, church? I just want us to end with a song this morning, but maybe we can just stand together as we we close in prayer. Let's bow our heads. Raise your hands to heaven this morning. Father, we just want to thank you for your word this morning. We thank you, Lord, for what is above. We want to thank you for the one who is above. The one who is above our situations, the one who is above our temptations, and the one who is above our struggles. Lord, we are so grateful today that your grace overflows our sin. We are so grateful that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And so, Lord, as we've heard your word today, help us to recognize our position in you and to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God because of the price that you paid. I pray, Lord, that we might apply these not simple, but life-giving principles that we might see victory in your name as we detoxify ourselves from bad habits. We pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Together.